0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Mission Church Sunday morning service. We are so glad that you tuned in this morning to worship Jesus with us, and we are glad to worship Jesus with you. Pastor KC is going to be bringing the message today, and I'm looking forward to that. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at the Beatitudes. I encourage you to get your Bibles out and open and ready now. Uh, but before we do, I wanted to share some things with you about what's going on with the church. Uh, it is today, as a matter of fact, just as uh, divine providence would have, today is the two-year anniversary that we are here in Carlsbad in our new building. Yeah, we uh, started our first Sunday service on May 20th, and, uh, 2018, and here we are today, two years later, and I wanted to share some updates with you that are going on on the purchasing of the building. Uh, we have watched Jesus just do a incredible work, to open doors for us on this. Uh, We tried to purchase the building two years ago and that door was just completely closed. It was like no way. And we knocked several times asking for that door to open and there was just no interest whatsoever. And about two and a half months ago, uh, the Vista Assemblies of God church that owns this building came to us out of nowhere and asked us if we would like to purchase the building. And uh, we have been in negotiation for the last couple of months uh, I am really happy to report that we have gone into escrow. We opened escrow this last week, and the Lord has uh, just uh, opened every door for us and really uh, done done just an amazing work. And we wanted to just praise him and uh, say thank you, Jesus, for all that he's done and to let you know uh, what is going on. Uh, We are in the inspection phase right now. Uh, We did a title report. And some things came back on the title that are a little bit concerning we're working through that right now we've got a meeting this week that we would like to ask that you would be in prayer over and uh, we are uh, uh doing all the inspection on the building and all those kind of things but lord willing we have a 45 day escrow and uh the everything will uh, will close in 45 days if we can work through the uh, the obstacles that are before us right now so i ask that you would be in prayer on that uh some have asked uh, hey uh, are you going to do a building fund? Are you going to do a thermometer on the wall? Are you going to? And I want you to know that we're not. Uh, we have uh, um, been really blessed and have the Lord uh, uh, just go before us on all things. And our philosophy is this where the Lord guides, the Lord provides. And we have watched him provide in miraculous ways through difficult times such as these And uh, so we're leaving all up to the Lord. We do ask, though, that you would be in prayer on that with us and that you'd be praying for the church board, uh, the leadership, uh, as we make the decisions moving forward. We want to be just right in tune with what the Lord is doing. And so far, we have watched him go before us, and it's just really been a joy. Uh, I'm going to ask Pastor JC to come up and pray for us as we open up the service. But I had one psalm that I wanted to read this morning that I uh, just Now, the Lord put on my heart just a couple of minutes ago. Um, uh, Listen to this. This is Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. And it is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are the people. Excuse me. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Uh, Just so good, isn't it? Uh, Know that the Lord, he is God, he is the one who has made us, and we have not made ourselves. And today we are a testimony of that. This is his work, it's not our work. This is the work that he has done, not the work that we have done, and we are just praising him for all of his goodness. And this is a work that will go on for generations to come. Long after I'm gone, this work here at the church will continue in Jesus' name. And we are just so privileged to, to be a part of what he is doing, uh, not only for today, but for the future. So, JC, would you, uh, uh, really looking forward to hearing your teaching on the Beatitudes. And uh, would you lead us in prayer right now as, for all that the Lord is doing here with the building? Yeah, I would love to.
1: Heavenly Father, we do praise you. For as Dave said, what you are providing, Um, this is not by our hand, not by our might, but by your grace. And Lord, our desire is to steward what you have gifted to us well. You know that from the time that this church began, that you called Pastor Dave and Lisa to raise up this body of believers, that the finances that you have gifted here have been stewarded well. And Lord, our desire is to continue to see that happen so that the body and the fellowship can grow in health and enjoy as a reflection of Jesus Christ. So God, give us wisdom. Give us discernment as we move forward in this process. And Lord, we ask that as the body of Christ, we can encourage one another and build one another up and take part in what you're doing. Lord, give us generous hearts and Lord, minds focused on you. We thank you and praise you for the incredible blessings you are pouring out at the mission church in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. 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 Thanks, Pastor Dave. Well,
0: good stuff, brother.
1: Rip it up. Hey, uh, I kind of like your suggestion of putting a thermometer on the wall because when we come back to church, there might be some thermometers on the wall, but different <laughs> I reasons. Know. I don't know if uh, that encourages people or not, but uh, probably enough thermometers. Um, As Pastor Dave said, it's just a joy to be with you on Sunday mornings, and boy, do we miss you, church family. Uh, It is nice for us to come into your living rooms and your homes once a week, Um, but it's been even better to come into your homes twice a week. And just a reminder for those of you who may not have heard or participated yet, every Tuesday night, 6 p.m., live, either through YouTube, Facebook Live, or our website, We are doing a study in the book of Revelation, and we encourage you to join us. It lasts about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, and Pastor Dave has been taking us through this incredible prophetic book, the last book of the Bible. And not only do we get to go chapter by chapter in this season of COVID-19, but there's also time for questions and answers, which you can send in or text in your questions at the end of the Revelation study. And uh, just really an opportunity for you to engage, to get some questions um, out there and answered if you have them. So we encourage you to join us live Tuesday night, 6 p.m. Uh, right here at themissionchurch.net slash live Sunday service. Would love for you to join us. Well, right now we're going to open up the word. And as Pastor Dave said, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and we've spent the last four weeks going through the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes is the manifesto, or really the constitution of God's kingdom. It's the values of Jesus, it's the character that we are to put on like new clothes as we walk. As Christians and followers of Christ. So I encourage you to open up your scriptures to Matthew chapter 5 and just for contextual purposes to catch you up where Jesus is in his ministry currently, um, he's about a year deep into a three-year public ministry. And at this point, Jesus is at superstar status, which simply means that he's been healing and casting out demons and performing miracles And everywhere that Jesus goes, people want to follow him. They want to see what he's going to do. They want to hear the way that he teaches. For he taught with authority like none had ever heard before. And we find ourselves around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus has climbed a hill and many have followed. And they sit down on this plateau overlooking the Sea of Galilee where Jesus sits, which was the proper position for a rabbi to teach others, and begins to teach. He begins to speak from his mouth the words of God. And it's an incredible way for Jesus to start probably the most powerful sermon that exists in the scriptures and what's really incredible about the beatitudes is it's not just a list of things that we're called to do right pastor davis talked about how this is the beatitudes not the be actions as a matter of fact uh, we can we can be reminded that the beatitudes describe the inner qualities jesus wants his followers to have it's not about the things that we're doing it's the way that we're receiving the word of God in our heart. It's our disposition. It's our attitude. It's our being and the way we're living out Christ. Everywhere we go in the Beatitudes, Jesus begins like this blessed, which simply means happy. And happiness is a byproduct, not a pursuit. Happiness is a byproduct, not a pursuit. And what that means is that. We're not pursuing to live like Christ so that we can be happy. It's as we live like Christ, it's inevitable. We can't help but rejoice and experience joy when we follow the good news of Jesus. And just to give you a brief recap of the four Beatitudes that we've already covered, the very first one, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, poor in spirit, a recognition that comes from God's spirit, that we are spiritually ruined without Jesus. And it doesn't mean that we think of our, um, we don't think less of ourselves as created in the image of God, but we begin to think uh, of ourselves less. Instead of putting ourselves first or self-esteem or self-exaltation, we look at exalting Christ. Us as poor in spirit, God in all his glory of who he is. Then Jesus goes on to teach and he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Yes, to mourn is to mourn over sin to mourn over the wickedness that we have in our own lives, to be truly repentant, because as we are repentant, as we mourn our sin, instead of winking at it or trying to get as close to that line as possible, we recognize that we are comforted in Christ. There is forgiveness lavished upon us in his grace and in his mercy. And then Jesus teaches, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, It's it's important to remember that each one of these beatitudes has an opposite, right? Um, Instead of blessed are the poor in spirit, the world says blessed are the arrogant. Blessed are those who grab the bull by the horns. Blessed are those who really take charge. Well, when it says blessed are the meek or the gentle, we look at how, yes, you may have power and strength, but it is under control. It is not misused or abused. And so Jesus teaches, blessed are those who are gentle and show that gentleness to others, just as Christ did with us. And then last week, we also covered... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And in other words, blessed are those who partake, who eat of the bread of life and drink the living water, which is from Jesus Christ. For we will be satisfied. We will never go hungry. And so we pick up in the fifth beatitude, the kind of the second half of the beatitudes. We're actually going to cover the remaining four beatitudes today. And so in your Bibles, go ahead and look at Matthew chapter five, and we will begin here in verse seven. Jesus says this, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Now, if we were to define mercy, a good definition of mercy would be forgiveness and compassion to those who deserve punishment or judgment. And there is a tremendous amount of mercy exemplified in the Bible. Um, I think of Joseph. And if you know the story of Joseph, Joseph was sold out by his brothers. They beat him. They threw him in an empty cistern or well. They planned to kill him, but then decided they could make some money off of him. And so they sold him into slavery. He was good for nothing but death. And yet we see God working in Joseph's life. And by the end of the story in Genesis 50, Joseph has risen to power in Egypt. He is now second in command of the greatest nation in the world. And what is incredible is that his brothers come and they bow before him thinking, Oh my goodness, Joseph is going to kill us. And Joseph displays And extends mercy to his brothers. He only builds them up for good. He only takes care of their families. What a testimony of mercy. We think of King David and King Saul. And remember, David was a faithful and loyal servant to Saul. And yet Saul had it out for David on numerous occasions. Trying to pin him to the wall with a spear. or Hunting David, even with the whole Israelite army. And yet David extends mercy to Saul. And does not take his life knowing that it is God's job to remove Saul from the throne. And David would wait patiently. A great testimony of mercy. Another one from the Old Testament that I love so much is the story of Jonah. And we have Jonah who is sent to Nineveh but uh, decides to go a different way. Goes through the whole fish thing and being swallowed. And finally goes to Nineveh to preach, repent of your sins or the city will be destroyed in this amount of time and what's amazing is that that message of repentance that warning from god turns back an entire city that was known for its wickedness that was known for the awful way that they would treat one another and other people around them and they repent in sackcloth and mourning and ashes they cry out to the god for forgiveness And, oh, he extends it. And I want to read you just a quick verse. This isn't on your screens, but Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah's kind of complaining to God, and he says, For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. All this is the God that we serve, which brings us to the greatest testimony of mercy, It's Jesus Christ. Oh, what a joy to look at the good news, the gospel, the story of Jesus's life, seeing that we as wicked people, deserving of nothing but punishment and death, that God would send his only son to ransom and rescue us, to pay the penalty for our sin and to extend his mercy to us. This undeserved grace in which we receive. The mercy of God. Uh, just an incredible, incredible testimony of what mercy is. And I wanted to give you just a, uh, a few ideas of what does it look like to be merciful? Well, the merciful, they assume the best about others. Um, for some people, this is second nature. For others, it's not. But to be merciful means to assume the best about others. Um, think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had everything. Uh, We can't even experience what Adam and Eve had, and yet they sinned and rebelled and disobeyed against God, and yet God extends to them mercy. He assumes the best, not that their sin doesn't matter or not that God is being permissive of their sin, but knowing that they need rescuing and they are his people, he redeems them and covers them as a testimony of who Jesus is Another way to look at uh, those who extend mercy is people who are merciful are quick to forgive. And I say this not lightly because we should never forgive flippantly or just a simple, hey, no problem, I forgive you. I'm not even gonna think about it. No, we count the cost. We may be hurt. We may be stepped on. We may have been injured physically, emotionally, spiritually, or mentally. And yet the merciful are quick to forgive. And there's a reason why we are quick to forgive. Look at the last one here. This is the blessing that we've received. Remember, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Well, What's the blessing? Well, we are the examples of those who have received mercy. Through Jesus Christ, he extended his mercy to us, which we don't deserve at all. And because of the mercy we receive, we are now able to be merciful. As a matter of fact, Jesus will teach just in the next chapter, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. He says this, and this comes from the New Living Translation If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, when we've been given the mercy through Jesus Christ, how can we ever withhold forgiveness from others? It should be second nature for us, now poor in spirit, mourning over our sin, to now extend mercy, the same mercy we've received to others. Now, I want to take you into just a couple of moments of how does this matter to our life? Maybe some practical application of what does this look like for us to be merciful? Well, we are in an unprecedented season in COVID-19 in which many of you, husbands and wives, you find yourselves at home all the time and your kids no longer have school, but you become their teachers in their home all the time. And I would argue this is what it means to be merciful. Husband, your wife now has children in the house 24-7. On top of mother duties, she is now a full-time teacher. And on top of that, maybe husband, you're home all the time, and that's not always easy on her either. Will you have mercy? Will you assume the best? Will you give her the same mercy that's been given to you? Oh, wives, would you think of your husbands? Perhaps they're used to going to a place of work where they have just... Complete freedom from distraction. They're able to get into their work. They're able to get into the zone. And now they're at home with kids running around or a lot more distractions. Wife, would you have mercy on your husband? Parents together, your children are used to a routine. They're as far out of their routine as they can be. They can get. It's like summer vacation on steroids, but still trying to get schoolwork done. But we don't really know how to turn it in Parents, would you have mercy on your children? And then lastly, I think this is important to remember. I'm not going to get into a huge debate here. I don't want to go down any rabbit trails. But as people of mercy who follow Jesus Christ, citizens, would we have mercy on our government as they seek to best respond to this disease and to this virus that is wreaking havoc on our nation and on our world Would we extend to them mercy? Mercy through prayer. Mercy through healthy conversation. Mercy through the love of Christ being shown even to leaders that we don't always agree with or we wish were not in power. Let our mercy be a testimony of who Jesus is. And I love that Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. When you extend mercy, it's because you've already received it in Christ Jesus. Jesus continues in his teaching in Matthew chapter five, verse eight, and he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Now, It's interesting, we mentioned that earlier, the order is important. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that God didn't start with blessed are the pure in heart because I would have had no idea of how to get there. This isn't about actions. This is about attitude. This is about a condition of our soul. And when we look at the order of blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful... We are led to this point of blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Well, what does it mean to be blessed as those who are pure in heart? Well, I think there's at least two aspects of pure in heart that are important to address. The first is certainly an inner morality, a desire, a hunger to do what is right and to be a testimony of the character of Jesus. Yes, that does mean obeying the commands of God. That does mean walking out the Christian life. I also believe there's a second aspect. When we look at Jesus' day, the Jews were very concerned with ceremonies and traditions and a certain way of doing things in which they counted themselves righteous because of what they did. Well, we know that Jesus has to flip that on its head or at least upend it to make it right. It's never been about our own righteousness. It's always been about the righteousness of Jesus. And for those who are pure in heart, I would suggest this. To be pure in heart is to seek Jesus with undivided attention. Uh, What does that exactly look like? Um, It was really interesting. I get up early in the morning and I often sit on my couch and have the opportunity to to read or to study, sometimes I doze off again. Um, but we have this view to our backyard in which I'm able to see these beautiful trees that God's blessed us with. And there have been these yellow-breasted birds that have just been incredible. Their color's amazing, they're all over the place. And so I finally looked them up and uh, here's what they are. They're called yellow-breasted chatbirds, and they're part of the warbler family. I have no idea what a warbler is, but that's what this bird is. And here's what I noticed, uh, probably starting about three weeks ago. Now that it's spring, there's a male warbler and a female warbler, and they will chase each other through branches and through trees. And I think in the Disney movie Bambi, it's called being twitterpated. Uh, we have to explain to our children uh, they're wrestling and playing, and but they're just they're all over each other. And I witnessed this just last week. They became so entangled with one another that their little bird feet became trapped together and I watched them gently fall to the ground. And for almost three minutes, they just went back and forth, fluttering their wings, but never letting go. Might this be a picture of what it looks like to be pure in heart, to be so tangled up in Jesus that you're only, you only have eyes for him. You only pursue him. So that when you're latched on, just like those birds were, it doesn't matter if your finances are amazing or in the dumps. It doesn't matter if your job is going better than you ever thought it could, or maybe you've experienced job loss. It doesn't matter if you're sick or healthy, but you're seeing Christ in everything that is going on. Those who are pure in heart seek Jesus with undivided attention. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 11 through 20. I'm not going to put it on the screen, uh, but this is the story when Jesus is teaching his disciples, listen, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth because what comes from your mouth ultimately comes from your heart. To have a pure heart is to be seeking Jesus with undivided attention, to be getting tangled up in his words so much that it just saturates every aspect of your life. The blessing is that we will experience incredible intimacy with Christ. If we were to put this into practical application, husbands, when you have eyes for your wife only, when you're not looking at women as you're driving by the beach, when you're choosing to refrain from inappropriate online content, when you seek to only look at your wife, what happens all oh, a great intimacy beyond the physical, to where you're entangled spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, which is exactly what God desires for us. And the reason why intimacy is so important is because we get to see God for who he is. Think of Adam and Eve before the fall, before they rebelled. Oh, it's incredible. Every single day, they would walk with God in the cool of the evening. That is incredible. They got to see him. This amazing intimacy with their creator. The blessing of being pure in heart is that you will see God. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says this. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. Would you fix your thoughts? Would you fix your eyes? Would you fix your heart and your mind on Jesus so that you may live a life that is pure in heart so that you may see God? Jesus continues in verse 9 and he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Again, in this order of the Beatitudes, we get to this place of Well, when you extend mercy, when you are filled with a pure heart that is seeking Christ without looking at anything else, oh, you become a peacemaker. Now, peacemakers are a very interesting characteristic of Jesus. I think we probably know that Jesus is a peacemaker just from the message that the angels give the shepherds alone. In Luke chapter 2, verse 17, the angels say this, right? They say, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill towards men. The only way that there is going to be peace on earth between God who is righteous and between wicked and sinful mankind was for an intermediary, a propitiation, a sacrifice to come once and for all to reconcile man and God. Jesus is full of peace. Now, Here's something that we need to know about being a peacemaker. A peacemaker is not sexy. A peacemaker is not something that most people aspire to. As a matter of fact, we often get peacemakers and peacekeepers confused, and we'll explain the difference in just a minute. But it is a thankless position. Think about this. Peacemakers sacrifice self to stand in the gap. That means, uh, have you ever seen two kids fighting? Uh, not that my nine-year-old and my eight-year-old sons ever fight, but if you've ever seen two kids fighting, it usually takes an adult to get in between them. And when you get in between them, you are rarely the hero. As a matter of fact, if it's come to blows, you may take a couple. You may end up getting punched. Or because you won't take one side or the other, maybe both parties hate you. Now transfer this into adult relationships. Brothers and sisters, have you ever seen a couple fight? It doesn't have to be physical, but perhaps it's simply by not talking or not resolving an issue or having unnecessary sarcasm that is hurtful or gossiping about another. Who will step in to stop the fight and is willing to stand in the gap and take blows? who is willing to stop the fight and be hated by both parties, not to take a side, but to be on the side of Christ and to be a peacemaker. One of the greatest stories um, in scripture that I see of a peacemaker that just blesses my heart is the story of Esther. And if you don't know the story of Esther, here is this Jewish woman who becomes queen of Persia. And it's amazing because who would think that Kind of this this lowly young lady would become the queen of a nation. And yet God had placed her there for such a time as this. Uh, One of the king's advisors, a wicked man named Haman. He hates the Jews. And he sends and gives the king a decree to sign that all Jews can be executed. And the king, not really knowing what's going on or taking the time to discern, signs that edict in which Esther is a part of, but not only Esther, but God's people. And Esther is now trapped between a rock and a hard place as queen. She can choose to say nothing and try and save her own life because if you went before the king of Persia without being asked to come, you could be executed, even the queen. Or if she didn't say something, her people would perish. The Jewish people would be wiped out. And it is Esther who is a peacemaker, who is willing to stand in the gap between the Jews and the king and to reason. And God does a mighty work to where the Jewish people are blessed instead of persecuted in this. And Haman finds himself on the other end receiving death. There are so many examples of what it looks like to be a a peacemaker. Think of the prophets, men who stood in the gap between the wickedness of God's people and death. And God would speak to the prophets to give them a message and there the prophet would stand between the people and God warning, encouraging, pleading with people to repent of their sins and to turn back to God. A wonderful story that I love in the New Testament that's a great example of what it looks like to stand in the gap is the story of the Canaanite or the Syrophoenician woman. This is a Gentile woman from the land of Canaan, not a Jew, not a follower of God, and yet who hears about who Jesus is. And she comes to Jesus and she says, Oh Lord, my daughter is oppressed by a demon. Would you make her well? And yet Jesus says nothing to her. And it gets to the point where she's crying out so much that the disciples tell Jesus, would you please just send her away? And he finally kind of has a harsh response to her and says, woman, why would I give food that I should be giving to the children, to the dogs? And her response is one of a peacemaker. She takes this humble position, poor in spirit, and she says, yes, master, you are right. But even the dogs get to eat the scraps from the children. And Jesus responds with, your faith has made your daughter well. Go in peace. She stood in the gap. Her daughter was being oppressed by an evil spirit and she was willing to put herself on the line to be ridiculed or to be rejected in order to stand in the gap for her daughter. Now there is no other example that is as great as Jesus Oh, did he stand in the gap to bring peace to his people. Notice this. God, perfectly righteous in every way, full of wrath for sin. Mankind, wicked to the core because of sin, deserving of death. And Jesus is sent to be the intermediary. You see, Jesus is a peacemaker who is willing to take blows from both sides. Although it may be hard to understand, the Bible teaches us this, that Jesus endured the righteous wrath of God on our behalf. He also endured terrible uh, punishment that he did not deserve from mankind by being whipped and beaten and ridiculed and falsely accused and eventually hung to a cross killed, and buried. Jesus is the testimony of what it means to be a peacemaker. Now, why would we ever want to be a peacemaker? Well, consider 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. The apostle Paul pleads with the Christian church. He says this, he says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing trespasses to them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Why are we called to be peacemakers? Because God has called us into the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us the same stewardship that Jesus was given. Not to die for the sins of others, but to stand in the gap, to intercede, to plead on others' behalf. You see, people who are peacemakers seek to restore brokenness. When they see brokenness, they don't run away from it. They run to it because they have the good news of healing and the power of the gospel that is mighty to save. And I would implore you, church family, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, notice what the blessing is, for they shall be called the sons of God. Oh my goodness, what a title. For we know that Jesus is the one and only begotten son of God, and yet through adoption. Through the Spirit of God, we are brought into his family as sons and daughters. and it is our ministry. It is our calling to be peacemakers. Now I encourage you, how do we practically live this out? Well, how about parents with children? Parents, would you stand in the gap for your kids? There is a tremendous amount of bombardment on our children in regards to gender, in regards to media, in regards to expectations from our culture. And unless a parent stands in the gap for that child, how else will they experience peace instead of growing up in a life of worry of not being enough? Or consider this. What about Christians with other Christians? This is possibly one of the hardest ones to live out. If a brother or sister is in sin, how many of us like to go to them and say, hey, you're in sin. You need to stop doing that. How can I pray for you? How can I help? That's not fun. As a matter of fact, it can cause awkwardness or it can break relationships because oftentimes people are considered judgmental or that they're taking the side of another. Uh, Just last week, it was really neat. had the opportunity to sit down with a few of the young adults here from the Mission Church and have exactly this conversation. Oh, we have been given not a burden, but a blessing of being peacemakers, of being that extension of Christ who says, hey, repent and come back to God. And I had the opportunity to encourage my brothers and sisters of, it's okay to say something. It's okay to call out your friend in love and admiration for the purpose of bringing them back. And the beauty of this ministry of being a peacemaker is that it is a reflection of Jesus Christ. There's a difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers. I said that we would would cover that just a little bit. A peacekeeper is an appeaser. It's a people pleaser or a peace teaser. I don't know why those all rhyme together, but they do, and I won't get carried away. But people pleasers are those who just, hey, we just want to keep the peace. I'm not, I'm not taking sides. I'm not saying you can't do this or you can do this. How about we all just get what we want, and then we can move forward? Well, that's not the gospel. The gospel says, no, we must die to self so that we can live for Christ. To be an appeaser is simply just to try to make others happy. Well, remember, happiness is not a pursuit. It's a byproduct of the values of God's kingdom. So that as we make peace by speaking truth and love, the byproduct is happiness. But if we simply pursue happiness, we may find ourselves not exemplifying who Jesus is as a peacemaker. Well, we've come to the final beatitude. We've we've covered seven, right? We have poor in spirit. We have those who mourn over their sin. We have those who are meek, meaning gentle. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those who extend mercy because they've received mercy. We see that those who are pure in heart shall see God and peacemakers will be called sons and daughters of God. Now Jesus comes to the final and last beatitude. And here's what's really neat. It's like a, it's like a bonus. Um, it's, it's like a promotion. It's the reward. The question is, what is it? What is this last beatitude that Jesus wants to share with us? This last value of the kingdom that's so important that he doubles it up twice. Well, read with me in verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Oh, this is amazing. I mean, you think about this and you go, wait a minute. Jesus, the reward, the bonus, the promotion... It's being persecuted. How do, we, how do we reconcile blessing and persecution? Oh, Lord, let us look at this together. This is amazing. You see, when Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted, it's because when you exemplify and put on the character of Christ, those seven beatitudes that we've covered over the last four weeks, It is inevitable that we will be persecuted. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit because I think it's important to maybe understand the right idea of persecution. Uh, When we consider persecution from the scriptures, we know, especially in the early church, whether it was the Philippians or the Colossians or the Galatians or those in the time period after the epistles, Christians were suffering from significant persecution being torn apart in horrible ways, being placed in the Colosseum as a spectacle, uh, being burned alive as lamps or in oil. Pastor Dave covered that at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and we just see that all persecution can come through such physical torture. And yet there is also another form of persecution that I think is important for us to understand and also to expect. Notice that Jesus says in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted For righteousness sake. Well, remember, this is the beatitudes, not the beactions. which means that righteousness, it can't be my own righteousness. It has to be the righteousness of Christ from the inside out where people begin to see Jesus, which is why we can often be persecuted as people. I want you to consider this. In the early church, when the apostle Paul was alive and when Peter was alive, The Roman Empire had some really strange ideas about Christianity. As a matter of fact, they were often persecuted because uh, the Romans thought they were cannibals. They had heard about this bread of life, or they'd heard about the blood of Jesus, and that you had to partake of that to eat and to drink. And so the Romans thought that they were eating people. Or there was something that the Romans would call a love feast, which had its own implications, and yet Christians were simply partaking in the Lord's Supper the Last Supper, Communion. Or Christians were persecuted because they believed in a revolution that would come and the return of Jesus the King. And they thought that it was some fantasy, some made-up thing, and they mocked them for it. Or perhaps one of the greatest reasons that Christians were persecuted is because they would not bow to Caesar, the Roman Empire, excuse me, the Roman Emperor of Rome. They refused to bow their knee to Caesar because they could only bow their knee to Jesus, the resurrected Lord. And so I want to encourage you, know this about persecution. The persecuted get taken advantage of for Jesus' sake. The persecuted get taken advantage of for Jesus' sake. Think about this in Jesus' own life. How many times did people simply show up to see Jesus do a miracle? or to try and get some food, or just because they wanted some entertainment. You see, Jesus' power and grace and mercy, his character was being taken advantage of, and yet, did Jesus allow that? Yes, he absolutely did. And what I love about Jesus is that he is willing to take that humble position of being persecuted for righteousness' sake in order for others to see who he is. As followers of Christ, we are called to do the same. Perhaps our kindness is taken advantage of. Perhaps our mercy or being poor in spirit is taken advantage of. And yet the beauty is we are in good company. Notice this. Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He bookends the Beatitudes. Remember the poor in spirit? What was their reward? The kingdom of heaven. What was the reward? For those who are persecuted, the kingdom of heaven. But then Jesus adds on to that. Look, he says, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kind of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. The word for that is to leap with joy. How do we leap with joy at persecution? Well, I would encourage you. It's not that we leap with joy at persecution. It's that we leap with joy for the reward of being persecuted. All that we get to inherit eternal life. That we are called sons and daughters of God. It is an affirmation of our salvation. right? Jesus even tells his own disciples in Matthew chapter 6, "Woe if everyone speaks well of you. It's good when people revile you. It's good when people accuse you falsely for my name's sake. Jesus says, for him. And so when we begin to live this out, oh, if you're a follower of Jesus today, don't be surprised at persecution, but instead rejoice, leap for joy, knowing that your reward is that you get to inherit eternal life. And then Jesus finishes chapter, excuse me, verse five, chapter five, verse 12. He says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you needed Jesus to pay you a compliment today, if you're a persecuted person, how about putting you in the same category as the prophets? Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, all men of God who stood in the gap for God's people. What an incredible blessing to be counted so. Church family, as we close the Beatitudes today, I want you to remember this. These are the values of God's kingdom. This is the constitution that we live by. We are confronted right now, probably more than ever in our lifetime, with what are our rights? What does it look to have like to have a pursuit of happiness? Well, let me tell you something. If you pursue happiness as an end, oh, we are in trouble. But if we experience happiness as a byproduct through the values of Jesus's kingdom, we will forever be satisfied in Christ. We are so excited to continue this study in Matthew. Pastor Dave's going to lead us next week as we begin to look at what does it mean to be salt and light? Oh, a timely message for such a time as this, when we as the church are trying to decide, should we move forward with services? Should we not move forward with services? We want to be salt and light to our community and we want to worship the Lord our God as we've been called to. Don't miss next week's sermon on salt and light. Church family, I wanna close in prayer and then bless you as you go. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you are present with us through the power of your spirit. Jesus, we thank you for standing in the gap for us, for being merciful, for being one who is pure in heart so that we can have a pure heart, not of our own righteousness, but through your righteousness. Thank you that you are the ultimate peacemaker and that you endured and modeled what it looks like to be persecuted, knowing that the blessing and reward that awaits you and us together is far greater than anything we could ever imagine. So Lord, give us strength that comes from you. Give us righteousness that is found in the person of Jesus. And may we walk out the values of the kingdom to the glory and the testimony of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church family, thank you so much for taking time to be with us this morning. We can't wait to be with you on Tuesday night for the Revelation study. Have a blessed day.
0: You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.